Testing. Testing, testing. Hello out there. Hello out there. Testing, testing, and hello. Testing, testing, and hello. Testing, testing, and hello out there. Testing, testing, testing. We are testing until the end of time. The end of days. The end of time. We are always testing. One, two, three. One, two, three. Testing, testing. One, two, three. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. One, two, three. Testing. Mic check. Mic check. Mic check. Oh, there it is. There is our confirmation. All right, everybody. It is time to go live. Uh, get off of me. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, uh, so many wires. Uh, gotta, uh, gotta organize here. Okay, here we go. And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? I First of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from Jupiter to the Earth. Practitioners that you know some are are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help, and others do use it for evil. And you know, in some cases, you know, people really were. This is too much sometimes. From the broken ruins of Babylon. This is End of Days Radio. I am Daniel, and I am broadcasting to you all the way from the shimmering Emerald City right here in the heart of the most beautiful Pacific Northwest. The date is October 27th. Wow, we're that far in already? October 27th, 2017. Today's guest, 
who will be joining us shortly, is the man, the myth, the legend, Adam Kakesh. Adam Charles Kakesh is an American activist, identifying as a libertarian. Kakesh has called for a new American revolution, I like that, and has announced plans to run for president in 2020 on the platform of an orderly dissolution of the federal government. I've been trying to talk to this guy for a long time. I invited him on probably over a year ago, and him and his people were kind enough to hang on to my information and actually get back to me in the future, which is super cool. The fact of the matter is most people don't communicate that well or think about you in future tense, so I'm very thankful to him and his crew over there. And I just want to remind everybody before we get started to go to endofdaysradio.com to catch up on all things End of Days Radio. You can also get our guest, upcoming guest list and our schedule there as well as the forum. If you want to donate, if you want to get, get any of my information, email, stuff like that. Everything you need for End of Days Radio is at endofdaysradio.com. And remember to stay tuned after the break. Once our guest leaves, that's when the second half of the show starts. We have some news to talk about, some letters from listeners, as well as some very important topics that I feel that I want to discuss. But before then, let's get to the meat and the bones of our show here, and let's go ahead and give our guest a call. Hello. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the end of days. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm excited because I remember asking you to come on over a year ago, and it is so kind of you and your crew over there to hang on to my information and get back to me. So I thank you very much for joining me on the program today. Right. It's my pleasure, man. It's uh, always a great opportunity, you know, and I, and I know that you have an audience that isn't, uh, that, that's looking at a much bigger picture than uh, my relatively narrow political or rather anti-political world, but I think for them in particular, we have a message that really will resonate. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're like this, you're turning into like this modern day rebel pretty much. You're the guy that's bucking the system. You are definitely making some waves out there and people are starting to know who Adam Kakesh is. Yeah. Well, right now it's just amazing to see how many people are getting on board with this pre-presidential campaign. I'm getting ready to run for president in 2020 on the platform of the peaceful, orderly, and responsible dissolution of the entire United States federal government. And most people are really excited about this possibility. And, and most Americans, especially those who don't vote, uh, understand that we don't have to be united under one government to be united as Americans in American values. And I, I think this, this possibility for the future of the world of decentralizing government, of localizing government down to the community level really is an important part of this leap that we're taking right now, uh, especially into the information age where a lot of governance functions or things that we think of as government functions uh, are either just completely unnecessary and obsolete or can be handled better in a decentralized manner through the Internet, through the blockchain and the only things that we need to have an actual territorial monopoly known as government for are, you know, local city-based things or community-based functions. This this all sounds so amazing, and I want to hear exactly 
exactly how this all came to be and how you formed this very unique philosophy and opinion. Adam, would you mind just going into the past just a little bit, perhaps, and telling us about where you came from and what has been your journey leading up to this point? <laughs> well, I, I've only got an hour here. I want to I get into <laughs> some nuts and bolts, so it's hard to say how far back we want to go. But uh, I will first start off with what my current philosophical political position is, which is voluntarism, this idea that all human interactions, relationships, exchanges should be voluntary, that is chosen by the people engaged in them, free of force and coercion. No one is forced into any relationship. And of course, we know that government is, uh, you know, a whole series of forced relationships. We are forced into, you know, being economically tied to everybody else who's financially connected to the government. We're forced to live in this giant one-size-fits-all system. And the ideal that I see is one where government is localized down to the community level, at which point it is voluntary. You can opt out on your own property. You can uh, create your own new community, completely sovereign, without any uh, you know other authority stopping you from doing that. And that's Really, I just I, I think a conclusion that well, I see a lot of people who are of the same train of thought coming to. But for me, it was that when I was 17, I enlisted in the Marine Corps and I volunteered to go to Iraq in 2004. I was on a Marine Corps civil affairs team. And then I got out and I joined Iraq Veterans Against the War. And I realized in the course of that activism that it wasn't enough to be against one war or against the global war on terror or war in general even, but that there is a, a fundamental concept of militarism behind that that is antithetical to, to humanity, to freedom. And behind that is this idea of statism, of turning to government, which is organized violence to solve social problems that are always best solved by nonviolent cooperative solutions rather than violent or coercive, not quite solutions, because usually those are solutions for the people controlling those systems, obviously, whereby the rich get richer and the poor get poor. So how this campaign started goes back to 2012 at Bilderberg, uh, the Bilderberg Conference in Virginia. And I was living in Virginia at the time. And uh, my friend Jason Burmis, the original Info Warrior, uh, we were debating statism and he uh, basically challenged me with, uh... hello? Still here. Oh, getting some interference. Hello? Still here? Yeah, uh, just so you know, Adam, I have Hold been... On a second. I have been getting what could either be me wearing a foil hat and being paranoid, or somebody has been interfering with my broadcast. I'm not really sure which it is, so please bear with this program if we do have any interference. This is strange. Oh, yeah, it's always strange. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now, Adam? Yeah, I can hear you, but it's... uh... Hello. Hey. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. There, There is a little bit of 
interference going on, but it's probably just some lag or some some uh, Skype issues. But I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. So did did uh, did I get cut off just right then, or was I like talking into the ether for ten minutes? <laughs> well, we, we were starting to get into Bilderberg, and it sounded okay. like you were having some major epiphanies when you were when you were looking into that. Well, uh, it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't from that actually, because you know I, I've seen a lot of people get, uh, I think, get distracted with a, a lot of those. Um, you know, a lot of those issues of trying to understand how badly we're getting screwed as opposed to trying to do something about stopping it. And it was at Bilderberg in 2012. Uh, I was just there because I, I lived relatively close by in Virginia at the time. This was uh, Chantilly, Virginia, and I, I was living in Arlington. And my friend Jason Burmis, the original Info Warrior, was there, and we were debating uh, freedom versus statism. And, and he was still kind of a statist at the time. Um, he's definitely not now, but he said, Oh yeah, well, what would you do if you were president? And I said something like, uh, you know, quit, go home, get a real job. You know, just, I, I would get rid of the entire institution. I would throw the ring in the fire. Like, what do you mean? What would I do if I was president? Nothing. That's, there's nothing that you can do as the, you know, commander of an unethical institution that would be ethical other than to completely dissolve it. And so, I started getting questions from people like, well, what would you do about this? What would you do about that? And I was like, you know, what? I'm not really running, right? You're not supposed to be asking me policy questions, but okay. And, you know, I just, I, there wasn't a single question that uh, I didn't have the answer to, or at least uh, that, that we had a plausible answer to. And so uh, last year I went on a national tour. We did 60 stops in two months. It was really intense, really fast paced. Uh, this tour that I'm on right now is, is a lot better organized and a little bit slower. Um, I'm doing 68 cities in four months now going around the country. We're in Florida coming to the home stretch and we will be launching this presidential campaign formally as an exploratory committee, at least with uh, FEC paperwork and all that in uh, December, January. So it's been, it's just been really exciting to see that, uh, that, that people are ready for this. And when I travel the country, you know, I get to talk to a lot of average people. I get outside of the, the typical bubbles that I, you know, I find myself in as a political activist. And I, and I tell people about my book that I wrote when I was in jail because it, it's called freedom and we have the freedom logo all over our rig here. And so uh, they, they, you know, I tell them, they say, well, they say, what's freedom? What's this about? I say it's about how to create a more peaceful, productive, and harmonious world by dissolving government entirely. And most of them go, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And sometimes they'll say, well, what are you doing about, about it? And I say, I'm getting ready to run for president in 2020 on the platform of dissolving the federal government entirely. And most people say, yep, that sounds like a good start. Adam, what what is it about you? I mean, like I can say for myself, I do this show, and like you said, we cover a, a very broad range of topics. We often go down into the outer limits, but sometimes I get frustrated that I'm not doing more here on a ground floor physical level. How is it that you muster up all of this courage where you can face down cops and you can do this? What What is it about you that makes you different? Well, I, I think I take a... Marine Corps kind of attitude into my activism. And, you know, I don't mean all, all the bad stuff, but the, 
you know, the, the sort of sense of throwing yourself into a challenge and, and self-sacrifice. Uh, some people say about this presidential campaign, they'll say they'll never let you in, Adam. They'll kill you first. And that's not going to, if, if anything, that, that makes me more inclined to say that we have to do this. But it's uh, easy for me to say I have no problem facing that threat because I've risked my life for less worthy challenges before. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't have, you know, any of the typical fears holding me back, I suppose, that, that people do if they, if they haven't had the kind of combat experience that I've had. But, I, you know, I faced death in my life a, a number of different ways at different times. And I see that what we're doing in challenging the existing system of authority is the most important thing we can do to alleviate the current suffering of humanity under governments. It's the greatest thing that we can do to provide value for humanity, to move the species forward. And I, you know, I had a, I had an experience recently on, on this road trip actually, that was, that was kind of shocking because you, you say, what makes you different? And I really didn't think there was anything that made me that different that I was just, you know, obviously in some ways still a product of luck and circumstance and, and all of that. But there was an accident on, on the freeway and we didn't know it was an accident. We pulled up to, you know, a giant block of stopped cars on the freeway. And Zach and I, uh, a national guard vet who's traveling with me in, in the RV, uh, you know, we had someone else driving and we were like, well, let's just go out and see what's going on. And it, w- it was in Florida. So we thought, Hey, maybe it's a black lives matter protest blocking the freeway or something. But, you know, we're like, we're just, we'll go up and maybe it's an accident. Maybe we'll help whatever. But we figured, you know, it's, it's like, there's a huge, you know, lineup of cars in front of us. We can't even see what the stoppage is. So we get out, we walk like a quarter of a mile. We must've passed hundreds of cars, about a thousand people, and we get up there and turns out it's an accident and, and, uh, you know, pretty bad one. And there's somebody, you know, there's a, there are a bunch of people standing around, um, with one of the vehicles and they all look like everything's calm. Everything's fine. Like no, nothing's a big deal. And, you know, we, had, we had been walking, you know, it was a, you know, a good 10 minute walk to, to get up to this accident and nobody else was getting out to help or do anything. And even the people who were involved in the accident were just, I guess, kind of dazed and standing around, not doing anything. And so Zach and I, we get up there and we're like, hey, hey, is everything okay? Everybody's cool and everybody was calm. So we're like, all right, so can we see about moving these cars out of the way? Maybe we can we can clear one lane so traffic can start moving. And uh, we start looking around and we go to this other vehicle. And there's someone in the other vehicle who's disabled from the accident. You know, he had hit his head. He was bleeding out the back of his head. Uh, not much, fortunately. He wasn't like uh, in, in th- any kind of threat from the bleeding, but he wasn't able to move. He was barely able to talk. He had a big dog, a big pit bull in the car with him, and no one is helping this guy. And it was just a shock to me that, you know, this guy's, you know, sitting there for at least 10 minutes, you know, while we were walking and, and what, maybe even 20 minutes while traffic was piling up and nobody went up to help him. And so, you know, there wasn't a whole lot that we could do. Paramedics were on the way, but, you know, I was able to get some critical uh, health information out of this guy to pass to the paramedics, you know, very slowly because he was having trouble talking, um, you know, and he had had some prior injuries that were relevant to this. And then I went, I, you know, I secured his dog and, you know, I was just holding onto his dog while the paramedics got him out of the vehicle. 
and then you know got in touch with his father on his phone. So anyway, I don't I don't want to get into all the the details of this story, but it, I've I've been a first responder like that to a number of car accidents uh, on the road because I've done a lot of road trips like this, book tours, and I always thought that it was the normal thing that you know when when you see someone who might be suffering, you see someone who might be in pain that you jump up and you do something about it. You know, I, I've seen a couple of dead bodies on the side of the road. I've, I've helped people who are trapped in cars. Um, you know, I've, I've helped people who I I've helped a woman who, who smashed her face on the steering wheel and, and just, just to stop the bleeding while she was sneezing blood all over me. Um, you know, I've directed cars out of the freeway when, when this stuff has happened. And I always just thought like, that was what you did. Like, that's what you do. And it was shocking for me to find out that most people aren't like that, that most people, oh, traffic stopped. I guess I'm, I'm just going to sit here until the traffic starts moving again. Uh, and and it, what was crazy is that while we were walking past a thousand people, a lot of them would, would stick out there and ask us, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up? What's happening up there? And it's like, why, why don't you get up and walk and find out yourself? And then if you see someone hurting, you can help them. And I, I think this is something that really, I, I hope this is changing. I hope that, you know, as, as much as we get enmeshed in our digital lives and wrapped around our own axles and figuring out our, our own problems, that we are able to interrupt that in order to go help people who are suffering. Uh, people who, you know, uh, like on the side of the road are actually just bleeding and need some extra hands to stop the bleeding or someone who needs comfort when they're suffering that, that you, we just, that we step up and help people. And maybe that's, maybe that's what makes me different is that, that I am, you know, and maybe it's a, a kind of a Marine Corps thing. You know, one of the positive things that comes out of the Marine Corps experience is it gives you that, you know, initiative and that, that, you know, self sense of being driven and ability to just step up and take charge of a situation. But when I look at the world, I see that the biggest source of suffering and pain in the world today is, is governments, you know, and especially the United States federal government. And if, if we had a national consensus to dissolve it, to stop doing this, then we'd be a lot better off. So what we're doing is turning the United States presidential campaign into a referendum on whether or not the federal government itself should be allowed to continue to exist. And another thing that I find fascinating about this is the fact that, uh, well, I live in a military area. My family's always been military. And for the most part, people that have been part of that, they're just so pro-government. You can't say one thing bad about any of the wars to them. They have every excuse, every rationalization, yeah. just through and through. They're, they're very, I don't want to say brainwashed, but that seems to kind of be the case. Uh, how is it that you were able to shed that, that military programming and actually come out as somebody that's speaking out against government? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. And if I had, you know, the perfect answer to that, we, we do it for everybody right now. And, and I, I don't think you're wrong to call it brainwashed. I, and, and I think if you look at the process as a whole of societal conditioning, it's definitely a kind of massive scale brainwashing. Although brainwashing has kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I think the brainwashed people, uh, you know, resent the term brainwashing. I mean, even I did when, when I went to boot camp, 
you know, and, and came out different. People said that, you know, boot camp itself was a brainwashing process. And I, I resisted that. And I said, no, it's more like, well, they said they break you down and build you back up. And it's like, nah, they, they just kind of brush off the bad habits and give you good habits. And it's true in a lot of ways, but some of those good habits are the habits of obedience. And that's not a good habit, obviously, unless, you know, someone is trying to control you. It's a good habit for them. And I think there's a, there's a lot of deeper conditioning. And, and I don't think it helps to say that some of us are brainwashed and some of us are not or we're awake or we're deprogrammed or anything like that. Because especially talking about individuals, we're all kind of on a spectrum. And really, it's not like we're in this perfect state of, uh, you know, freedom, loving harmony, and then government comes in and brainwashes us and screws everything up. It's sort of a process of human evolution to become more of an independent thinker. And if anything, while the brainwashing has gotten on a bigger scale, so has our ability uh, to resist it increased, I think, more so than that. So I I, kind of want to resist. I just have to say all of that sort of as a as a, as a prologue here to my answer to, to tell you how I think about this language and the framework and the understanding of it, because I think that humanity is progressing and it, it's not like we have to save people from brainwashing or, or, you know, undo this conditioning. We just have to liberate them. We, we have to free their minds, encourage them to think for themselves, you know, I, you know, I describe myself as a libertarian in the bigger sense of the word, I, you know, being inclusive with it. And, uh, you know, we say that it's, you don't so much become a libertarian as realize that you were a libertarian all along. And by the way, libertarian is to me, someone who believes in the doctrine of free will. That's one of the dictionary definitions. To me, if you believe in free will, you have to be a voluntarist. You have to respect the right of every individual to only engage in consensual relationships. So when it comes to how do you break someone out of that, there might be specific ways of of addressing issues, things like that. But ultimately, I don't think it really matters if we can get everyone on board to take the first essential steps together. You know, we didn't have to convince people to start using the internet. It's just hey, there it was. It's an incredible tool. And all of a sudden, you know, you can't live without it. Uh, I think similarly, if we can get everyone to take the first step towards freedom together, which is localizing governments all over the world, and people see how much better off they are, that's what they're going to want. Most people don't think like us. And and this is one of the hard things for us to accept as activists, right? Because Daniel, you consider yourself an activist, yeah, definitely. I try to be an activist in my, in my own way right here behind the mic. Well, yeah, exactly. In media production, but even like what you said, talking to your family, you know, when you, that, that what you, and by the way, I, I describe to me, I, I define activist as someone who is motivated by a, a deep seated sense of injustice mm-hmm, and for wanting, sure. wanting to, wanting to fight that injustice one way or another. And so most people aren't like us. Most people don't have that mindset, that motivation, that, you know, fantasy of saving the world and uh, saving humanity or, or anything like that. Most <laughs> people are much more creatures of pragmatism and they want 
you know, they want their television and their food and their house and their cars and they want a job and, you know, a sense of purpose in life around a job and they want a family and, and, you know, all of those good things that, that ultimately, even as activists, we all want. I mean, I, I want, I just want to dissolve the government so that I can retire and go back to pretending like I know how to play the guitar. So <laughs> if we can recognize that it's, a lot less likely that we're going to get frustrated when, when we're calling for help, when we're asking for other people to get on board. And there, there may be, so, so I'm drawing this line in the sand with this campaign, right? That the federal government should not be allowed to continue to exist. Here's a practical plan that gets government down to the state level. And, you know, that's, that, that's the first step. Let's, how many people can we get? No, can we get a, a clear, overwhelming national consensus? to to get Americans on board with dissolving the federal government entirely. And I think the answer is an easy yes. Now, in that sense, if you realize that what does it take, you know, and, and we're going to have to win with a clear mandate, it's not going to be 51% or 34% to me to 33% to the old parties each. It's, it's going to have to be a clear, irrefutable national consensus that we're not going to let the federal government exist anymore. And if, if that's the case, you know, 60%, we need about 60%. So in some ways, if, if you are, are doing this kind of outreach, you got to perform triage. You know, if there are some people whose attachment, their emotional attachment to government is so strong that they are going to need some form of therapy before they're ready to hear this message. That's okay. You know, love those people too. Get them the help they need if you can. If not, move on. Be nice to them. Be good to everyone. And that's what ultimately moves humanity forward. So if we can just get a critical mass of people on board, I think it's relatively easy. I think 60% at this point, it, it, you know, and, and I'm looking forward to raising the money to doing these kind of polls. But, you know, how many Americans, if you just ask them, hey, if we could present to you a practical plan to dissolve the federal government, leaving 50 independent states plus the territories, would you vote to dissolve the United States federal government? I think, uh, I think already most of them would say yes. And if not, we, we know that that is our mission over the next uh, several election cycles, if that's what it takes to build that consensus. You know, Adam, when I really first started feeling this way, I would have to say that it would have to have been back in school because I really think that schools indoctrinate you in much the same way that the military indoctrinates people. I mean, they, they tell you what to think. They tell you what to believe. If you don't go along with the system, you are punished. Oh, yeah, of course. And do you feel that perhaps the key to this might be changing the way that we look at schooling? Oh, that's uh, absolutely. That's an essential part of it. Although I don't, when, when you say like, change the way we look at schooling that that suggests like and, and I, I don't mean to be just you know a, a pedantic jerk about this but it's it's you're suggesting that it's like central planning and, and what i would have to say about education is that like yeah it's it's already happening that you get government out of the way of education and it gets better no kidding right you get all the propaganda the control the violence of the system out of the way people are much more inclined to engage and learn in a, in a real meaningful way. So I don't, I don't think that like, it's almost like we don't have to do it. The evolution of education is happening automatically, you know, without any 
anybody like you or me coming in and saying, eh, we need to consciously plan this and change it and make it blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's, it's just that uh, the superior methods of education win out. You know, uh, homes, you know, people uh, have, have often been reluctant to homeschool historically because it's uh, a financial burden and the government sets it up that way that it's, you know, if, especially if you have uh, a household where both parents are working, obviously that, you know, if they're working in a, you know, a conventional job outside the home, then they're not going to have the time available to homeschool properly. But uh, as, as people get more wealthy, we have more resources to invest in education, more alternatives in charter schools and independent schools, private schools. All of these things are coming up. And if you look at the Internet, of course, it makes uh, things like the Khan Academy available, books, just, you know, the entire wealth of human information that's available online like never before in human history. That's really revol revolutionizing the, the concept of education. And at, at some point. Uh, you know, I, I think that would happen, you know, with or without any political effort. But obviously, we get rid of the Federal Department of Education, which does not run a single school, does not educate a single child. It simply passes down bureaucratic mandates from Washington, D.C., which do nothing but distort the actual education that's being delivered in a way that serves the special interest to pull the strings in Washington. So it, at very least, that's the first step. You're going to get government, these, these, these really perverted systems that uh, unfortunately people are very dependent on, first get them localized down to the state level, and you're at least going to get rid of the influence of the federal corruption. At the state level, you're still going to have a lot of the similar corruption maintaining that system, but then you get rid of state governments, you get government down to the county level. Now you're going to see a lot more resources going into education in a way that is proven to meet students' needs rather than the needs of government, which is to turn you into obedient, tax-paying wage slaves. And a person who I have always respected, someone who I've always admired and looked up to, Art Bell, he always mm -hmm. said that he was a libertarian I can't help but find that to be very inspirational as a guy that's behind a microphone and trying to do the same thing that he did in a way. Um, it, do you, what, what is a way that a person that might be more addicted to the democratic or republican way of thinking, how can we bridge the gap and show them that libertarianism is something that we can actually move into and not feel like it's this fringe thing that nobody will ever accept. Is there a way that we could do that? Absolutely. And, and really, that's the entire thrust of my campaign, because we want to take the freedom movement from being a debate club to being a political force. And if you want to do that, you have to stop debating how many libertarian angels can dance on the head of a pin and start putting forward practical policy that immediately improves everyone's lives. Of course, based on your principle. So when it, when it comes to making the Libertarian Party much more inclusive, making it more about uh, not the sort of conventional political conversation, which is really about who do we point the guns of government at to organize society, and instead make it about how do we move forward together. And when the Libertarian movement stops being about uh, well, let's just put it this way. I think there's nothing more anti-freedom or unlibertarian you can say than I want to be president of the United States. I want to control 
the largest empire the world has never known, the biggest entity of violent control. And I want to impose my libertarian ideals even on the entire country as opposed to saying, no, that's not ethical. I'm going to throw the ring in the fire. I'm going to respect the right of self-determination of states and communities and individuals. Then we get to make this the party of big tent, smaller government, and really more not just our ideals of smaller government, but localized community-based government. This is the everybody gets what they want strategy. So all of a sudden, the libertarian party, the libertarian movement is no longer for people who hold a particular ideology. It's for people who want to see government localized, to come together as a group, as a political party, and make stuff happen that, again, improves everyone's life immediately. So to join the Libertarian Party now, and, and this is what we're working on in organizing delegates for 2018, is to make the party about localization and unity. So if you want to get involved with that, that's our drive for 985. We, we are looking to recruit 985 people who are willing to go to their state conventions for the LP and then go to the national convention in New Orleans in 2018 in July. It's going to be a lot of fun. And this is the important reform that the party needs to do in order to make it more inclusive. So localization and unity for 2018 for the Libertarian Party is how we make this a political force that doesn't just unite, you know, and you know about this, even in, in, in media production, right? There are always splinter groups and little ideological factions here and there. Screw all that. Let's not even worry about about each group having its own place, because what we're going to do is unite everyone left, right and center against the common enemy that is big centralized government when we truly embrace the everyone gets what they want strategy. And remember, folks, if you do want to ask a question to Adam Kakesh, you can call in at 209-348-9810 or just contact Ninja Shoes 777 on Skype. Adam, I did want to ask you what your thoughts are on this computer type of activism, uh, groups like Anonymous, InfoSec that are using hacking to try to make a change. Do you approve of it, disapprove of it? What do you think? Well, I mean, that's, that's a very broad question, uh, because there's a lot, I, I just, one of the most important things to understand about anonymous is that it is not something that exists. There is no such thing as the group anonymous, the hacker collective anonymous. Anonymous is something that you do, not something that you are. And I think that's really important to keep in mind that anybody can be anonymous on the internet, you know, obviously in the literal sense, but in the sense of we think of, you know, hacktivism, anybody can get on and do anything in the name of anonymous. So there are a lot of things that have been done in the name of, of anonymous that, you know, I might not agree with. Uh, but by and large, what I see coming out of people who are doing anonymous activism on the internet is beautiful, amazing stuff that is, is actually really, uh, you know, part of the essential development of humanity, uh, using the internet as a tool of accountability and, uh, you know, just holding, uh, these larger institutions accountable when they, when they fail to secure their data properly. And, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited by, by most of that stuff. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great positive feature for the internet in general, but of course there are, you know, a handful of people who do terrible things in the name of anonymous as well. 
And of course, one thing that I just have to ask you about is this recent large scale tragedy that happened in Las Vegas. Uh, is an event like this, is it potentially uh, dangerous not only to our emotional state, but also to our civil liberties? Could this, could something like this cause us to lose our rights to own, own weapons? Oh man, I, I, I don't think so. You know, we've, how many shootings have we had in in recent years that were like this that got everybody all excited and talking about gun control and you know i i i don't want to get into them that much you know after this las vegas shooting i saw a lot of people in you know even friends of mine uh on social media get really into it and start looking at all these videos about, you know, the second shooter and the hard drive and the note and the photographs and, you know, all, all of these different things. And, it, you know, it's like, um, I think, I think you're falling for the distraction issue. I think the, I think the greater harm, actually, I think I can say this decisively. This is why. I don't get into these issues. When I see there's a shooting, I don't go like pour over all of the information about it because while there is the harm potential from these incidents being used to restrict rights to self-defense, I think the greater harm comes from the distraction. And when you get caught up in, you know, well, this shooting is significant because of whatever then first of all, you're falling for the logical fallacy of because of this one incident, we have to change policy regardless of reality and statistics of, of, of everything else. And, and, you know, there's a lot of credibility to the arguments that say these, a lot of these shootings are false flags or setups one way or another. And, you know, it's hard to say how many of them are organic and how many of them are staged, but ultimately it really doesn't matter. I know it's a big deal. It's still a big deal. But hey, if it's true that it's the federal government, I mean, if, if they're all being staged, someone in the federal government knows about it, right? If we dissolve the federal government, we get to release all the records, whatever conspiracy theories you endorse, we will find out once and for all whether or not they are true. And I, I think focusing on how we move forward is a lot more productive than looking at how we've been screwed in the past. And, and I think that's what the, the shootings represent. That's what all of the political attempts to restrict rights in the wake of shootings represent. So getting into them just isn't really helpful to the cause of freedom or moving forward, hum, moving humanity forward in any way as I see it. Well, if you're going to bring forth those secrets and you're going to tell us about the aliens and Roswell and stuff like that, I think you're going to get Everything. a big portion of my audience. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I talk about this on, in my, uh, my stump speech now that one of the best things about dissolving the federal government is that we get to release all of the records. And some people will call me a status for this, but I, I do believe that we need to, as we liquidate the federal government, break off a little chunk of funding to uh, create an endowment for perhaps the Library of Congress to be the record-keeping agency for as long as necessary. So as we fold every other agency, they send all of the all of the records get digitized, they get sent to one place, and basically they get posted on the internet as soon as they are screened for one thing and one thing only, which is that we don't release private information of individuals that shouldn't be made public. But other than that, basically 
all the records get released onto the internet as soon as they can be identified and published responsibly. So yeah, no more secrets, no more lies, all of the records, all of the documents, all of the patents, all of the crazy technologies being developed in secret that all comes out for the American people to see. Is there a imbalance in terms of the money? I mean, Adam, you got my full support, but the problem is that these guys that win, they usually get backed by people like George Soros. They have all kinds of money to put into propaganda, if you want to call it that. They have a lot of money to get a public opinion swayed in their favor. Is there a major imbalance in the way that our presidential election system works? Is the guy that has all the money, is he guaranteed the victory? Is this completely unfair? Oh, well, geez, there's, there's a lot to unpack in that. And it's, it's not quite as simple as that. But when you, when you, when you end the question with, is it fair? It's like, oh, of course it's not fair. Democracy is not fair. Now, democracy is thought of as or defined as rule by the people. And democratization is thought of as decentralizing power. And those are, those are, you know, certainly noble thoughts and ideas. If you think about them for a second, they don't really hold water when we talk about government as good, solid, ethical systems in the first place. So what I mean by this is democracy, rule by the people. <clears throat> that means people are being ruled. How about instead of ruling people, we... How about in- instead of people forcing each other through social institutions at all, we respect individual rights. So democracy is ruled by the people. But when we talk about it as a government system, you know, we're talking about rule by the majority. We're talking about the majority forcing its will on the minority. That's what democracy is. That's not a good thing. That's not something to be celebrated. So hmm. it's not even rule by the majority because what we, we know this is really rule by the people who can manipulate majority opinion. And that's what gets really to the start of your question. Is it unfair? It's unfair from the beginning, but then you, it's because you've already accepted that if you can control majority opinion, you can basically force your will on everyone, because now you have the consent of the public through the democratic process. And so, no, it's it's definitely not fair. And a lot of this is driven by the monetary system. You're probably familiar with, I think it was the Rothschild quote, uh, or maybe Rockefeller who said, you know, give me control of a nation's money supply and I care not who makes its laws. Because you can keep printing more and more money and, and ripping people off when they're all forced to use that dollar. But now we have Bitcoin, we have cryptocurrency, and that monopoly itself is wearing thin. So even that, that that imbalance that comes about through the centrally controlled monetary system, even that's going away just because of the Internet, because we have this tool now. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I could bring up Bitcoin as an example of that. It's a form of currency that seems to be outside of that centralized system. Like you said, the Internet seems to be changing that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, and Bitcoin is, is absolutely critical to this current phase of human progress that we're experiencing because the, the money monopoly 
is is one that really drives the corruption through the rest of the system. Yeah, and another thing that strikes a chord with me, you seem to be really highlighting certain uh, freedom-type values, liberty that we have as Americans. And it seems like a lot of decisions nowadays are made on these councils that have these Rockefeller, Rothschild-type people on them that are over in Europe, as opposed to it being us Americans that are actually in control of our destiny using those same American values that you, you're kind of alluding to. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in the United States, the Constitution was formed in order to give the central authority the ability to create a central bank. It was really all about that. It was so that they could print more money. That was the the core of the purpose of the government racket. Government exists to control, not because they're, you know, are, are just sick people who want to control, although that is true. It's to exploit you. It's it's to to rip you off. It's to profit from your labor. That's that's the purpose of government. And so the monetary system is is definitely the most efficient mechanism by which they can do that. You know, it, it's not taxes, although ta- although you could call it a tax. You know, a lot of people who understand how the monetary system works uh, refer to it as the inflation tax, because if you're forced to use a currency. And there's a central bank that controls it. When they print more money, by virtue of supply and demand, the value of the dollars in your pocket, in your wallet, in your bank account, lose value. That's a tax because you're being forced to pay for something that uh, that you wouldn't be paying for otherwise. And it's it's really the most dangerous, insidious one. Although now it, it would be hard to measure that versus the income tax, which is you know also a ridiculously outsized anti-freedom policy that we weren't ever supposed to have in this country. But of course, uh, you know, now we live in a world where when you have an accident on the freeway, a thousand people will stand, stand around going, what's going on before, you know, any of them will jump up and help. So it's not a surprise that the tyranny that we're subjected to is one that takes advantage of that part of human nature. How do you feel about current president Donald Trump and the way that he is handling his presidency? Oh, well, my feels uh, are not really relevant to this conversation. I try to how, – how do I feel about Donald Trump? As little as possible. How might you handle a situation like North Korea differently? Well, if I was president, I would be dissolving the federal government entirely, so I wouldn't directly do anything as president for the North Korea situation. Of course, if the United States did not exist as a centralized government, then the North Koreans, their government, wouldn't have this perfect foil, this this enemy to attack. And if you understand the situation in Korea historically, you know, it, it the, the whole concept of the DMZ and the splitting of the countries and the isolation of North Korea is all a product of America's imperial criminal foreign policy and came out of the Korean War in the in the 50s and 60s. So all of that has, has led to this strange situation where you have a relatively impoverished country, impoverished because of government, able to hate on a foreign government. So how would we actually resolve that without turning to violence? I think the answer would be to trade with North Korea as much as possible and make it clear in all the ways that their government is holding them back from engaging in commerce with the rest of the world in ways that would improve their lives. So if, if I had, you know, the biggest 
podium in the world, if I had the soapbox, I would say, let's reach out to North Korea with love and commerce and trade with them as much as possible and show them that it is their government that is keeping them poor uh, by example. But of course, in, in America, we're really in no position to talk right now. We can't tell North Korea, hey, your government's keeping you poor because you're being taxed and regulated too much. And you look at the United States and go, uh, yeah, so are we. But if America was able to take a, a more ethical uh, position for itself, it might be in a position to increase the standard of, of ethics in North Korea to ones that are, are of course, more oriented towards freedom. I, I think there are a lot of other free market ways we could address this. I think pamphleting into North Korea could be very effective. Um, somewhat, somehow broadcasting, if we can open up with technology. I know their, their internet access is severely limited there, so it's not as easy as uh, you know, well, my book right now, Freedom, has been translated into Korean, which is nice. And we're, we're working on a couple ways to get it distributed there. Of course, I don't have the resources to have uh, any kind of large scale impact. But if I did, I, I would probably uh, encourage commerce and, and education and, and interaction with the people of North Korea going around their government as much as possible. Adam, didn't you spend some time in jail after you were actually protesting for your beliefs? Didn't that happen a yep. while back? Yeah. <laughs> Would you mind sharing that experience with us? Well, I've been arrested over three dozen times in the course of my activism. Most of those were with Iraq veterans against the war and were relatively petty catch and release kind of arrests uh, just for typical protesting where they want to get you off the street or out of an intersection or away from the Capitol for a while. Uh, a lot of those arrests were in Washington, D.C., and not that big a deal. But I was arrested for uh, participating in a pro-marijuana rally in Philadelphia and did a week in jail for that. And then I made a video loading a shotgun in Washington, D.C., where that's very illegal, two blocks from the White House at the ironically named Freedom Plaza. And I ended up doing four months in jail altogether for that, two months in solitary. And it was during that time that people sent me all these great libertarian manifestos, you know, all these great books about how uh, freedom can make humanity more free and prosperous. And so I thought that while I was in jail, I could become the best rip-off artist the freedom movement has ever known. And I took all of the best ideas from all of those books, uh, all of their best features, none of their weaknesses, only their strengths, and combined them into one book called Freedom. And it's, I think, the ultimate red pill. And I say that with, uh, with all humility because I, I simply set out the goals and I had a lot of help writing this book. Uh, 300 people crowdsourced the editing and it was uh, it was a really amazing process. Incidentally, it is now banned in U.S. prisons and jails. Uh, I mean, excuse me, I'm sorry. I should say it's been endorsed by the United States Department of Justice. And um, so I, I think that was a, it was a great thing that came out of my time in jail. And uh, overall, I, I think that my government-induced, taxpayer-funded spiritual retreat was, uh, you know, just another uh, positive life challenge that uh, that I definitely embraced. Did you have a, a rough time with any of the prisoners? Did anybody try to um, like take your oh, bread no. or anything like that? No, 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 not at all. Uh, I was in solitary for the first two months, 
So I didn't have a lot of interaction with, with other inmates except the, you know, orderlies in the hallway delivering food. And they were all very friendly and some of them knew who I was and were, were very supportive. And uh, I was put in solitary, uh, not for any punitive reason, but allegedly for my own protection. They say, you know, it's, it's automatic as a policy for a high profile case. And so I had to beg my caseworker to get into general population and fill out a form and, you know, kind of harass them about it and be like, how about now? How about now? I was supposed to get let out of solitary uh, a, a few weeks at least before I was. And when I got to the general population, uh, I mean, the very first day I was, I was mobbed and this is, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just about the only white guy on the whole block. And it's all these guys coming up to me with their hands outstretched, wanting to shake my hand going, dude, we saw you on television. That was awesome. And so I was, I was very popular in, in general population and nobody, uh, nobody wanted to, to start anything with me. So I, I definitely enjoyed, uh, not only the white privilege of being the only white guy in the block, but also, uh, kind of activist celebrity privilege when I was in jail. So uh, I understand that for a lot of people, uh, jail can be a lot more challenging, you know, for me compared to Fallujah, of course, it was very easy. And the only hard part about jail was the stress of my legal situation, not the being in jail part. It was the going to court. Am I going to court in a week? Am I going again in two weeks? Are they going to let me out this time? You know, am I, am I facing 30 years now? Am I facing 40 years now? You know, that kind of stuff. That was really the, the psychological torture that, that was the tough part about being in jail. But, you know, other than that, it was, it was very easy for me. At this point, because you are speaking out so prominently, do you ever have any fear for your life that you will get to the point where they will feel that you're enough of a threat to actually step in? I think having written the book that I did and created the library of videos that I have, you know, 60, well, actually over 70 million views on YouTube, although a lot of them are private, so it only looks like 60 million. But uh, yeah, I think they know that if they killed me now, it would, it would really just accelerate things, uh, you know, and, and if they were to try to suicide me, no one would believe it. More people would read my book uh, as a result of this. And I, I think I've, I put myself in a pretty good position that way. But if, uh, you know, so, so yeah, I, I think, I think the powers that be understand that killing me only makes this movement stronger because it'll show uh, you know, how, how evil and corrupt government is. Of course, they can make it look like an accident, you know, who knows. But one of the things that, that I've come to realize that I think has really helped me wrap my head around life in general as an activist, but the, the question is you ask it especially, is that human life is extremely fragile. We are all alive because everyone around us wants us to be alive. It is so easy to end a human life. It is so easy physically to snuff someone out. And when you realize that you not only learn to appreciate life more and I think live more fully as a result, but you also live a lot less carefree. You know, why would I make myself uncomfortable all the time wearing a bulletproof vest when if someone wants me dead, they're going to shoot me in the head? or poison me or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's really uh, sort of silly to live in, in that kind of uh, security state. Uh, I understand that um, there are going to be enemies of this message 
in the course of this campaign. There are going to be people whose livelihoods are threatened by this message. And I think the best that we can do to protect ourselves in that case is stay true to the love that's behind freedom and make sure that everybody who might feel that animosity towards us, oh, I'm, I want every IRS agent to be fired. And, you know, some IRS agent says, well, screw that Adam Kokesh guy. You know, I want them to know that we're doing this out of love for all humanity, that we don't hold it against people that, that we've done evil things in the past. Cause, you know, I tortured people when I was in Fallujah. I, I understand that it's not condemning individuals. It's about lifting everybody up. And so this message is not, we have to defeat government and we have to fight it and we have to get out our pitchforks. It's no, let's lead the way forward for humanity by taking a deep breath and stepping back and saying, ah, okay, we can all get along now. We can put down the guns of government. We can have a much more cooperative society by embracing the ethics of freedom. And Adam, could some of this this strange conspiracy stuff that's been going around about you on the internet, um, this stuff about you being a reconstructed, reprogrammed child actor and stuff like that, <laughs> could, could this be like some kind of psyop disinfo campaign to actually distract people from this very serious message that you're putting out there? Uh, I don't know. I think all the Adam Kokesh's, Jonathan Brandis things are just kind of funny. And, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, I'm a fan of Jonathan Brandis. He was, uh, you know, an actor who, whose work I enjoyed as a kid. And it's, it's funny that, yeah, we were, we're about the same age and we have the same teeth. He's just like a, a better looking version of me with not so big a nose. But no, if, if you look back, you know, I am who I am and all the documents are there and all my child pictures are there. So it really is just kind of silly. You know, I don't know. I, I don't think uh, we can discount the possibility of COINTELPRO type government infiltration, distraction, whatever operations, because we know they're happening. It's just a question of how big, on what scale and um I don't know. They can't, you know, no army can stop an idea whose time has come. Freedom is an idea whose time has come. Localization is an idea whose time has come. And these are ideas for humanity that are bigger than any of us as individuals. You know, they can, they can do what they want to me, but it's not going to stop the course of human progress. Well, I can say at least that it did bring you to my attention. And, you know, it was, it was a little bit funny besides the fact that he passed away and it definitely led me to you and the more serious and very relevant discussions that you're having. So it's probably a good thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing I should say about the John, I mean, there's also, I mean, there, there's pictures on the internet. Like I see on Twitter, there's, there's one guy who regularly tags me in pictures of, of me getting shoved into an oven, you know, cause I'm Jewish. Um, Yikes. just ethnically, not, not religiously, but, um, <sighs> where I, I the, about the Jonathan Brandis thing in, in particular, the, the one thing that I will say, the reason I don't really promote it or, uh, you know, get too involved with it is that, you know, Jonathan Brandis still has family members who are alive and I, I don't think any of them would want to see any of that stuff. And I think just out of sensitivity for them, I don't think that's, uh, you know, really good way to, to troll. But uh, I understand. I understand that, that it's it's just part of the game. And for those out there that are listening to this message and taking it seriously and, and who want to actually do something more than just listen, do you have any 
tips for maybe somebody that is is younger, maybe somebody that's 18 to 25 and they're hearing this now and they don't even know what direction to take it. Do you have any tips for them where they could take this energy that they're feeling and and manifest it in a positive way? Do you do you have any tips for them to get started? Well, I would first say read my book cuz it's 100 pages and it's it's all the lessons that I've learned over the course of my activism in terms of, of philosophy. And I think until you have uh, a comprehensive understanding of the world in those terms, you can't really set off on any path of activism with confidence or, or any really any life path, really. And one of the most important sections for the from the book in that regard is the one on emotional freedom, because regardless of the brainwashing, whatever it may be, effects of propaganda, if you don't reclaim your emotional freedom, you can't really set off uh, on your own course with with confidence that what you're doing is is emotionally grounded for yourself, for your own well-being and the sustainability of your activism. So the main th- the, if, I, if I would say three things, one, read my book. Two, uh, make sure that what you're doing is sustainable. Uh, don't and, and you know this, Daniel, in, in terms of just podcast production, that if you're if you're production formula gets way too complicated and and burdensome it's just going to become a pain in the butt and you're not going to be able to sustain it and and that's really important that that we don't bite off more than we can chew we don't make commitments that we can't keep so in terms of activism a lot of people i've seen who burned out did so because they got ahead of themselves they got too involved and then the third thing is stay in the love stay motivated by positivity and get rid of that negativity before you choose a path for your activism. All of us in the course of waking up at one point or another are going to be angry with government. We're going to have some hatred, disdain, pain, suffering, anger, whatever kind of negativity it is. And that's fine. But don't let that be your primary motivation because you will definitely burn out if you are motivated by anger. And I did want to go ahead, well, we are approaching the end of our interview here at the top of the hour, but I did want to open up things one more time for you, Adam, if you have any last things that you want to say, if you have any last words for my audience out there, if you'd like to get on the soapbox one more time, and or if you would just like to give some plugs and tell everybody what where they can contact you, what websites to go to, and where they might hear you speak in the future, feel free to use the, this opportunity right now. Sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And my main website is thefreedomline.com, thefreedomline.com. You can get my book for free there. You can find me on DTube, YouTube, all the other social media websites get all of my content, everything else. And most importantly, if you want to help dissolve the United States federal government, if you want to join the final American revolution, you can go to the forums, sign up if you're in the United States under your state. There's also a foreign organizing section because I know there are also some people outside of the United States who would rather the federal government didn't exist. And just like in the tradition of the American founders, we are going to need international help to overthrow the biggest empire the world has ever known. So that's what we're doing. We are going to fulfill the promise of the first American revolution and finally free America. We need your help to do this. So if you can, please go to thefreedomline.com and do something to get involved. 
All right. And once again, thank you so much for joining us. I definitely am supporting you for president. And I would definitely like to touch bases again with you pretty much whenever you're ready, whenever you want to come on here and talk about anything, you are more than welcome, Adam. Absolutely. You know what? Let's do another interview sometime, uh, you know, like mid-February because we'll be getting into the state convention season then. And uh, I've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. So, yeah, man, I would I would love to come back on then. Okay, awesome. I definitely appreciate you throwing that future date out there and, and uh, giving End of Days Radio so much of your time and taking End of Days Radio so seriously. Definitely, you have my full support. And until then, I will talk to you later, Adam. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, brother. Awesome. What a great guy, that Adam Kakesh, right? Um, you know, like I was saying during the interview, a lot of the stuff that you're going to see about Adam Kakesh is this Jonathan Brandis type stuff. And I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Brandis, just like Adam is. And I'll admit that it did me, it did draw me into his work. But once you actually look at it, you quickly forget about that whole thing. And you start take, you start thinking about libertarianism getting rid of all government and what that would actually look like and if that would be possible. And I really feel it's it's very important to pay attention to this because a lot of people don't think it's possible. A lot of people are going to say, no, we can never not have any government. That doesn't make sense. We have to have Big Brother there to protect us. But maybe that's not true. Maybe we're just looking at it wrong. Maybe this guy has the right idea and he's the only one with the balls to actually say it. So I think that... This is something very important. Anybody that has enough balls to actually say these things is important in the sense that at least somebody's there willing to do it that can be like a rock and can anchor us and give us a little bit more bravery and a little bit more courage to do it as well. So uh, definitely stay tuned for more from Adam Kakesh on this program, End of Days Radio. We're going to go ahead and move into a break. Um... You know, sometimes I'm so crappy because I should have something like ready. What do you Whoops. Ah, commercials. Ah, YouTube commercials. I should have some music ready. And I sometimes I'm crappy and I forget to prepare that part of the show. And I get so excited for other things. But just give me a brief second. I am going to find some good music for you guys to listen to. I don't like playing the same things over and over again. That's for sure. So please enjoy. Um, this music never gets onto the actual, <laughs> the actual podcast version because we can't use other people's art and all that, et cetera, et cetera. So you live listeners enjoy. And for you pod people that listen to the podcast version, which is like 90, 95% of you, um, you will just hear whatever I place in there afterwards. So enjoy. Welcome back to the end of days. I am your host, Daniel, broadcasting to you from those beautiful broken ruins of Babylon. The broken ruins, 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 ruins. The broken ruins. Do you guys like my new sound effects? <laughs> you guys remember that song, Wipeout? Never mind.
you young folk aren't going to know what I'm talking about. Not that I was even alive at that time either. But what is going on in the world today? Oh my God, what is happening? Where should we start? We have so much to talk about, but I very hardly know where exactly to begin. I suppose the best place to start would be by reading a fan letter. Or a listener letter, sorry. <laughs> These aren't all fans that write in. These are people that, some of them are fans, some of them are not fans. They're haters. So these are listener emails, not necessarily fan emails, which I think is actually better, right? Because you you guys want to hear that other side. You want to hear the dark side. You want to hear the people that hate me, right? (laughs) It's fun, right? It's all fun as long as we don't take it too seriously and actually think about these things when we're not broadcasting. As long as we're just reading them and not taking them too seriously, and I'm not hanging myself with a rope from the ceiling fan, I think it's all good. But remember, everybody, bullying is wrong, even on the internet. Okay, so first letter. This is from Ace of Spades, 1984. Interesting name. It says, Daniel, word on the street is that you sometimes go into hiding. Is this true? Um, Partially. I don't really go into hiding. I wouldn't say that I've ever really gone into hiding. I mean, I probably, I probably am not as somebody that would be considered to be off the radar at all. I've never really gone into hiding. You might notice that I sometimes disappear for a while and you don't hear an end of days radio show for about a month or so or three weeks, a month, two weeks. And I know that really frustrates a lot of you out there, especially you people that really make this show part of your routine. I really hate to disappoint you guys. And and yes, I am partially going into hiding during those times, but really it's mostly just me having to take care of other business stuff so that I can keep this show up and I can keep this show running. That's really all it is. I only have so much energy to go around and sometimes it's like, okay, if I'm trying to do this show, this show is really important to me. It takes so much of my time, so much of my energy. I'm so focused in on it and this message that's going out that I would not want to try to do two things at once. I'm not going to try to to like fix the engine in my car at the same time that I'm I'm broadcasting this very special message. I'm going to devote a block of time for each thing. It's partially that, and there's another factor too. It's an energetic thing. Um, I I have come under attack from doing this show. A lot of you are probably going to say, Daniel, you've got your foil hat on again. You're not being attacked. You're paranoid, et cetera, et cetera. But if you are somebody that has been harassed or gang stalked, you will know what I'm talking about. Sometimes when you turn to people and you try to tell them what's happening, it gets more confusing. They think that you're lying. They, they get confused. Uh, you think they're lying. They think you're lying. It's just, it gets really messy because it's hard to prove when you are under a psychic attack. If you're under some sort of, uh, sorcery, magic, curse type of thing, or if it's some technology that's so advanced, it just doesn't leave any traces. There's stuff like that out there. And these people that are throwing these attacks out there, they definitely know how to do it and they know how to clean up any traces of what they're doing. I've had the show shut down twice now. I've had all kinds of energetic type of 
uh, ear ringing type of things, pressure, sensation, stabbing, invisible knives, things like that. And of course, many of you out there are just going to say, Daniel, that's your imagination. It's your paranoia. Uh, these are just normal anatomical things happening to you that you are misinterpreting. And that's entirely possible. Hey, I'm not ruling that out. If this is all bed bugs <laughs> or something like that, then great. That means these things aren't really happening to me and I have my whole future ahead of me and everything is relatively positive minus things we can't control like cancer or death and stuff like that. If that's the case, then I'm all for it, right? I, I'm not looking to be under attack. I'm not looking to come off like a martyr or get special attention or anything like that. It just is happening. It's the truth. And I don't know necessarily that it's coming from this source or that source. I'm not going to say, oh, this is the Illuminati. This is the reptilians. I don't know where it's coming from. I just know that I'm putting a lot out there and I'm probably pissing off a lot of people. That's the only thing that I can be sure of, really. Okay, let's move on, right? A lot of people were, were really upset with that last show. The last show with Gary Parker and the ABBA message. I got so much negative feedback about it. Pretty much everybody just thought it was nonsense. Uh, I've seen comparisons to uh, other stuff out there that is is known to be fake. I mean, I look, we treat our guests with respect on this show, and I'm not going to say one bad word about the guest from last week. I, I feel that would be wrong. It would be inappropriate. But if you were to honestly ask me, do I believe that an alien who created everything called ABBA is coming back, is coming in, or coming back or coming in the first place in 2020 and he's going to save us all. Then I'm probably going to have to say that's probably not true in the least, right? I mean, there's no way I can ethically put that out there that I believe any of that. There's no way that I could pretend to entertain that that could even be true. I mean, I don't know about the other stuff that Gary found, the writing from the NASA footage. There does seem to be something there. But as far as waiting around for an alien god to appear in 2020, um, it's just not going to happen. And I apologize to Gary if I was being rude by calling him out on it and saying I want to bring him on the show on that exact date in 2020. I kind of, you know, I was getting kind of mad because I did. I really thought it was like a legit thing, and then he came on and he got to talking, and it just sounded so made up and ridiculous. I, I, I guess I was kind of, I guess I was kind of uh, reacting in a way that I normally don't react, and I had some other stuff going on in my personal life, so I was very, I was very antagonistic there at the end, and and uh, you know, trying to challenge Gary and, and invite him to come on at that exact time and also when he's talking about oh i just went on eight podcasts i went on nine podcasts that doesn't make me feel very special when you're talking like that and i, I doubt he's even going to go back and listen to any of the stuff that i'm saying now so it, it doesn't really matter but um just for the record everybody out there i don't believe in abba except for the band that came from sweden <laughs> take a chance take a chance take a chance take a chance or mama mia mama mia <laughs> i mean they're a good group right a good band but I don't believe in alien gods named Abba, and I, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I this show is about the truth. It's about it's about what is real ultimately. And yes, I believe that strange, fringe, supernatural, occult things are real. 
but that doesn't mean that I'm just going to accept anything to any extent. If it sounds completely ludicrous, then I feel I have a duty to you listening, and I have a duty to anybody that might be presenting me with those ideas to say how I honestly feel as a truth seeker, as somebody that gets behind the mic and claims to be real and claims to not BS anybody. I got to, I got to be honest. It just sounded completely fake to me. And if anyone else sounds completely fake and, and doesn't sound like something that I would want, that I would want to put out there, then I should make sure to not even bring them on here in the first place. And I apologize if, the integrity of the show was brought down at all by Gary Parker, the things that he found. Um, I'm always going to hold back that slight benefit of the doubt, no matter how ludicrous that it seems, and, and just say that, you know, I, I have all the respect and all the best wishes for Gary, and I hope that he accomplishes whatever he's trying to accomplish. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I have to say that that just sounded like a bunch of nonsense coming from somebody that probably probably either really wants to believe it or is hoping for who knows, maybe he's hoping for a book deal or a movie deal or something. I don't really know. Maybe he just really believes it. I don't know, but I just can't, I can't sit here and uh, put this message out there on my show. If I don't really support it, I don't really believe in it. So, Hey, that's how I feel. And I hope you guys out there, you appreciate that I'm being real and honest, and I apologize if it feels like I'm being disrespectful to somebody that gave me their time, even though he gave it to a lot of all the other people as well. But you know what I mean? I, I just, I got to be real with you guys, and I hope that earns your respect, and I don't, I hope I don't lose your respect, but ultimately, I got to worry about what's right and not necessarily what people think or how popular I am or how people perceive me. I would rather be perceived as real than nice. Even though I am nice, I, I definitely would rather be perceived as real and honest and myself. So there is that. Uh, let me sip some of this coffee. Where'd my coffee go? Oh, it's all the way over there. Excuse me for a second. So there's other stuff going on in the world. For example, Corey Feldman... A lot of you guys out there have been talking about this. At least two hardcore fans of the show have been sending me all kinds of information about Corey Feldman. Yes, I do want to have him on the show. Yes, I do, for the most part, believe what he's saying. I believe that there's plenty of proof out there that there is abuse. There is lots of abuse going on in Hollywood, and it's being covered up, and it's easy to get people to not talk. We always hear that argument Oh, somebody would talk. If it was really going on, people talk. People would talk. In some situations, there seems to be so much gossip going around and people just won't shut up. People love to gossip. In other situations, it's hard to even get people to talk about anything. If there's fear in the air, it's hard to get anybody to talk about anything. If there is fear in the air, it is hard to get anybody to talk about anything. Think about that. I know I'm repeating myself, but think about that. I know I'm repeating myself, but think, sorry, I, I just have to be a little bit of a troll sometimes. <laughs> but seriously, what is going on in Hollywood? What is going on in the Hollywood or the Hollywood? Why are people getting molested? <laughs> Why is this happening? Why are people getting their 
private areas felt up by creepy old men wearing business suits. <laughs> What's going on? Like, is this really the world that we live in? Is there really that much of a creepy situation going on? This horrible abuse of power and position and authority? This taking of advantage of uh, youthful young people that just want to have some kind of career and want to advance themselves in a, a perfectly reasonable way. Is there really, is this really going on? Are there really Weinsteins and Bill Cosby's out there? Has Corey Feldman telling the truth? Corey Feldman, who was very clear that Michael Jackson is completely innocent. And Michael Jackson was being accused of all of these things. Yet we know now that it's people like Bill Cosby and Weinstein that were the ones that were actually doing it. And there's not only, I mean, look what happened with Michael Jackson. You, one one abused victim came out and then tons and tons more came out. I mean, one abuser, with Michael Jackson, uh, the, an abuser would come out and then there really wouldn't be a whole bunch of people coming forward. But with Cosby and Weinstein, one person came out. And just tons and tons of well-known people started coming out with the truth. I think if you look at both of these situations, and I, and I apologize if I'm stumbling over my words a little bit. If you look at both of these situations, you're going to conclude the same thing as me. Michael Jackson was actually innocent, and he was getting blackballed by powerful people. And in these more recent situations with guys like Weinstein and Cosby, they are in fact guilty and it is apparent there's no doubt there's just tons and tons of evidence stacking up about them so who knows what's really going on and if i'm wrong about michael jackson then you know that that sucks but i don't believe that i am let's all do a, a woohoo in respect to michael our long lost freedom fighter the guy that stood up to sony the the greatest dancer of all time uh, a hero to the black community, even though he was very pale skinned there at the end, still, he is a icon of the black community. And he is somebody that always made me feel good with his music and his dancing and his inspiration, inspirational message and his courage, no matter how he looked, how pale his skin became, how small and frail his nose became his hair catching on fire, his health deteriorating, no matter what was going on, he always had that hope and he always had that love in his heart for the children and he always cared about them. Even after he was being accused of these horrible, terrible things, he always loved the children and he loved his children and he loved all of the disabled and, and mentally handicapped children all across the world and he did everything in his power to help them. So big shout out to Michael Jackson. If there's a heaven, if there's a heaven, a big shout out to you up there. And, uh, I, I hope that you are looking down on us and you are proud of all of us that are, are fighting for the same thing that you were fighting for the, the, uh, the individual freedoms of everybody and, and the right of everybody to, to live a healthy and happy life. So shout out to Michael. And shout out to the Thriller album, one of the best of all time, I should say. Once again, best dancer of all time. Okay, that's enough about Michael Jackson. How much have we talked about Michael Jackson on this show throughout the years? He's kind of like our unofficial mascot, and so many of you love to talk to me about Michael, and some of you tell me that we need to stop talking about Michael Jackson so much, <laughs> which is fair enough, but I don't think that that's going to happen. <laughs> 
Oh my god, excuse me. This coffee. Oh. And yes, I am addicted to coffee again. I try not to... Excuse me, let me have another sip. I try not to drink this stuff because it really cracks me out. I can't sleep, I'm jittery, I'm paranoid, I'm nervous. I talk a lot, I crack a lot of jokes. It seems to help me, it seems to hurt me. I live here in Seattle where everybody drinks coffee, it rains, and the only thing we can do to not feel terrible is to drink our coffee. I don't know. I don't know what, what I, I don't know how I should feel about this. I, I always feel like I should quit because I'm getting those extra calories. It's doing things to my heart. It's making my heart beat fast. It's interfering with my sleep. It can't possibly be good for me, but I get like 10 times as much done. So <laughs> I know all of you out there feel the same way. You, you like, likes you some coffee and some Mountain Dew. I know. I know it's hard, but really, if you have it right and you're doing it the right way, you will be able to be fueled by your own body's natural energies and you will live a much stronger and healthier lifestyle with a more clear head if you just eat those healthy foods, those fruits, those vegetables, those turkey burgers. If you want to eat the ramen, remember to not use the little salty broth packet that comes in there. Go do yourself a favor and buy some low-sodium broth from the grocery store. Thank you. Also, I got to meet a celebrity. <laughs> now, I've talked to a lot of famous people on this show. I've talked to all kinds of great minds and forward thinkers and activists and hacktivists and people that have encountered aliens and people that have been mind controlled and all kinds of people like that. But how often do you just meet a regular celebrity? Yes, I did have the honor of meeting a reality show star. I just ran into them. I just ran into them. I'm going to say, I'm not going to say who it was, but this person was somebody from one of my favorite shows The Bachelor. I got to meet a reality star from the show The Bachelor. And as somebody that watches that show, I know a lot of you hate when I talk about The Bachelor. I totally get that. But as a fan that watches this show, what I'm going to say is this person went so out of their way to make me feel good about it and give me their time and take a picture with me and talk about the show and talk about what goes on on there and behind the scenes, I, I could not be more happy that this person was so nice that they would give me an experience like that. I was just really shocked. I was almost in tears afterwards. I know that's not going to gain me any fans saying that, but I was, I was like almost in tears because this person went so out of their way and they, and they don't, this person did not know about end of days radio. They didn't know about this other side of me here. They just saw me as a fan of the show. There was, there was just saying hello to them on the street. And this person was so nice and, and just gave me so much of their time and, and didn't even know who I was, not that I'm anybody, and was so cool about it. It just, oh my God, it just warmed my heart and just made me realize that these are just people and that there are some people out there that really are just so kind and sweet to others and it just made me feel so good. I Oh, I'm crying now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, big shout out to that person. They're never going to hear this, but... um I just think that when you actually meet somebody that you've seen on TV and and laughed at the funny things that they're doing and then you meet them in real life and they're in front of you and you can smell them 
and you notice how they are much more attractive than you even realize when they were on TV, it it's pretty cool. And you guys that live in in Hollywood and California and you see your celebrities all the time, you're going to think it's no big deal. For, but for us people that live in Washington or the Midwest or the East Coast or anywhere else, it's a pretty big deal for us. So cut me a break there. <laughs> And I hope to meet more celebrities in the future. I know that Danny Bonaducci lives somewhere around here. He's on my list. The the douche man, the Bonaducci man, he's on my list of people to meet. And others too, but I'm not going to share at this time. I did want to talk a little bit about apparently there is, there are a lot of people out there that they get mad because it feels like some people out there are just sort of given everything from the start. There's people out there that they're born poor and they reach success later in life. And there are people that were born kind of, kind of uh, rich and they sort of just had everything from the start. Right. So this whole working hard versus silver spoon dynamic I think is interesting because something that somebody told me was that a person that actually works, a person that actually works hard to get what they have is going to have a much different perspective than somebody that had a rich family that had every break and had every opportunity to achieve their goals and, and to have all this stuff to back up their self-esteem and give them self-confidence, there's a big difference in these type of people, right? You see what I'm saying? So you have, uh, think of high school. I know people don't want to think about high school. It's a lot of bad memories, and many of you out there are just glad to be over it. But I'm going to say, like, think about high school and the the jocks, the popular people, the people that had, you know, the nice cars their parents bought them, they have all the looks, they're even smart, they get good grades, they're, they're class president, people like that that seem to have been given everything. That If you're in the shoes of somebody like that, then it's not as hard for you to like yourself or be comfortable with yourself. You just have that stuff from the beginning and you never thought otherwise. But if you're the other 99% of people out there, the normal folk you're going to have to deal with a lot more harsh reality. You're going to have to deal with that big nose or that extra weight or that that weakness in your ability to solve certain types of program, <laughs> problems or maybe your family is poor or maybe you're uh, maybe you have a mental disability or an emotional disability or or maybe you're really short or maybe you're really tall or you're really skinny or you're really fat or you're so thin that you're almost invisible. Maybe you're somebody like that. Maybe you're a reptilian hybrid and you just, you just don't fit in. It, do you see what I'm saying here? It is harder for some people than others to be comfortable with themselves and to have self-esteem and to like themselves. But no matter who you are, you can feel good about yourself and you don't have to even improve anything. You can actually, if you picture there being a light bulb inside of yourself or a meter or an empty glass or something like that, that represents your self-esteem and your self-confidence, you don't have to do anything to prove to yourself 
that you can raise that bar, that you can raise that meter, that you can make that light glow brighter. You don't have to accomplish anything to prove to yourself that you can feel good about yourself. You don't have to prove your own insecurities to be wrong. You don't have to do anything like that. All you have to do is you have to focus and force that meter, that bar, that gauge, that light. You force it on, you force it to move up, and you force it to be brighter. You can just do it without having to accomplish anything. I want all of you out there to know that no matter who you are, how ugly you are, how dumb you are, however you see yourself, whatever position you're in, if you're sitting in a trailer somewhere and you've got empty, greasy pizza boxes and, and puked up popcorn all over your naked body, if you're somebody like that, even you have hope. You can raise your self-esteem and your self-confidence through pure will, through pure thought, and you can become the god that you are inside. And you can accomplish anything because you have the power no matter who you are. But first, you got to turn the tide. you got to turn that light on inside of yourself. You have to reach that point internally where you truly believe in yourself. And like I was saying, if you're the if you're the jock, if you look like Tom Cruise, if you're one of those types of people, it's going to be easy. You already had it. Um, the, the, what I can say is those people tend to peak really early. Those people that peak in high school or college, uh, oftentimes they end up working at a gas station or, <laughs> you know, talking about the four touchdowns in a single game like Al Bundy. I know that happens a lot of the time. And this message is for you people out there too, the ones that peaked early, for sure. But I'm just saying you don't have to do nothing. You don't need looks. You don't need money. You don't need power. You don't need anything to raise that meter inside of yourself and become a god. You don't need to do anything. You just have to remember who you are, and you have to know what you are, and you have to know that there's a greater reality out there beyond this illusion that we exist in. And that's it. If you can do that, you can awaken that power within. All of that stuff, I don't care if it's, I I don't care if it is Anthony Robbins. I don't care if it is something from the occult world. I don't care what sort of philosophies you subscribe to. It's all the same. You got to turn that light on inside of yourself. You got to raise your awareness and you have to become a superhuman. No matter who you are, this is possible. Please remember that. Go to sleep thinking, I'm going to wake up the next day a god. I'm going to wake up empowered, and I'm going to do what I have in place on this earth to do. I am going to become a force of justice and a force of good, and I'm going to make great changes in this world in accordance to what I'm here to accomplish. And if you can do that, you're going to feel good, baby. You're going to feel right as rain. You're going to feel so good, and you're going to feel so happy. And it's not going to be that fake kind of happiness after you take a drug or you get what you want. It's going to be real happiness of knowing that you're in the right place and you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And that is a good feeling. <sighs> that Boy, that was an earful, wasn't it? And for those who hate listening to me ramble, I do direct your complaints to Daniel. End of days radio at gmail.com. That's Daniel. End of days radio at gmail.com. 
And I believe that it is time for our mind-blowing moment of the day. Let's see here. Let me try something different. I'm going to hook up my guitar instead of just shaking this shaking this thing over here. Instead of shaking this maraca, I'm going to plug my guitar in. It's going to take a second. You're probably not even going to be able to hear me, but let's do it. Woo! My blowing moment of the day! Yeah! <laughs> yeah, man! You're blowing my goddamn mind! And what did we learn from that just now? Number one, I'm a huge dork. Number two, I'm an awesome guitar player. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, really, the mind-blowing moment of the day, I'm going to have to go ahead and say it's when Adam Kokesh was telling us about uh, the Jonathan Brandis thing. Because uh, for whatever reason, that was an important issue for me. Uh, originally, when I had wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk to Adam Kokesh, but as I got more into his work, as I started to listen to what he had to say, the focus completely shifted onto the libertinarianism, getting rid of government, personal freedoms, people not walking around like they're better than anybody else. Nobody should have any more power in a society. And that's the stuff that's really important. So I want to say that's mind blowing uh, because it, the whole thing is mind blowing. I mean, the whole way that I found his work and what he's about and the, the whole goofy conspiracy, Jonathan Brandis stuff that, that whole thing is really mind blowing (laughs) and it's mind blowing wondering who started it and where it all came from as well. It, It makes you wonder what the hell is exactly going on out there on the internet in our media and who is throwing this stuff out there. So I'm going to say that's the most mind-blowing thing from this little exchange from the show. So that's that. Um, we do have a Halloween show coming up. It's almost Halloween. Let's see here. How many days are we away? Halloween is just in... Oh my. It is just in one, two, three, four days. So, because, unfortunately, Halloween is falling on a day that I work, which was what I was worried about, I'm going to have to do that show probably the following Thursday or Friday. So, the time that's listed on the website, it says it's Halloween day. I I can tell you right now that's not going to happen. I am working that day. So, we will have to do our Halloween special the next couple days and... Um, I'll see what I can come up with. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I have some plans there. Um, it does bum me out that I can't actually do it on Halloween the day, but I think this is end of days radio where it's kind of Halloween all year round. So I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, but we're going to do it. We're going to do our Halloween celebration that we do every year that we do every year. Wow. I almost sound Russian right there. That was weird. But the Halloween celebration that we do every year, because this is End of Days Radio, and we're all about the spooky, we're all about the witches, and the goblins, and the werewolves, and the succubus, and the the ladies who dress, dress in those skimpy, slutty outfits on Halloween night, they wear their cat ears, and they dress like nurses, and stuff like that. This is for you, ladies. It's all about you. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Daniel's a pervert. You're wrong. 
You, you're wrong, all of you. You're wrong. <sighs> okay, enough of this. Short show today, but filled with interesting facts and information. I don't think this show needs to be three hours long. I don't think it doesn't need to be three hours long. Sometimes we go an hour and a half. Sometimes we go six hours. It just depends. I like that. I like free-flowing. I like not having any rules. I like doing it how I want to do it when I want to do it because I believe in that type of artistic freedom. I believe in doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And I hope that some of you guys out there, you feel the same way. I hope that I hope that my bullshit that I spit through this mic, I hope it awakens the rebel in you and that rebellious spirit to not go to work that day and completely fuck up your life. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Just make what difference that you can. Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. One person at a time. Spread that knowledge, that awareness. Spread that energy of this awakening. Make sure that everybody that you know knows what a foil hat wearing weirdo that you are. Again, I'm joking. You guys know what I'm talking about. Tell your friends. Tell your family. And of course, remember to visit endofdaysradio.com for everything End of Days Radio. I used to do all these plugs. I'd give my Twitter, I'd give this, I'd give that. But you know what? It's all on endofdaysradio.com. So why do I have to sit here and waste your time and talk about it endlessly? Remember to join us right here next week, Thursday or Friday. Check the website. I will update it. And we will do it again. Um, Special shout out to... Special shout out to all of you guys out there. I know I say this a lot, but because I am so on and off with this show sometimes, shout out to all of you guys that have been with this show since the beginning. And a shout out to the people that are just starting to listen just now. Welcome to End of Days Radio. Welcome to the madness of this strange person, Daniel, who grew up in the Pacific Northwest and for whatever reason seems to have a vendetta against society. He's got the rage. (laughs) But shout out to all of you people that enjoy the show, that aren't scared away or spooked by my wild humor or my harsh language or my strange beliefs. Shout out to all of you, especially on a day like this, a day like this where I drink way too much caffeine. Special shout out to all of you out there. I love you all. I love you all personally. I want to hold you in my arms and rock you gently. Oh, that was creepy. <laughs> I want to caress your hair. <laughs> you know what somebody said to me one time? They were, they, they were talking about, they were making fun of me because I believe in aliens. And <clears throat> this person mentioned something about me waking up in the middle of the night with an alien gray gently caressing my hair. <laughs> and as pissed off as that made me, because this person was a huge skeptic and they were making fun of me, I can't help but just have that image repeat in my mind. And it pops up every so often. I just picture myself laying there with a smile on my face and this creepy, slimy little alien gray is staring at me and gently caressing my hair as I lay there dreaming. (laughs) Okay, enough of this. Everybody, you guys are awesome. I will see you here next week for more of the end of days. Okay. Okay. 
Anyways, this is Daniel. This is the end of days. I am Daniel, and this is the end of days. Signing out. Good night. From the beginning. And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely... No, no, no. That's our intro, not our outro. Let's do our outro. The king has returned from the broken ruins of Babylon. This is the end of days.